Welcome in, everyone. I am Divergent Thinking, and this is my podcast. Dedicated to the ADHD lived experience, this will be a space to info dump on what's captured my attention in the hopes of educating others and promoting a safe space. On today's episode, a listener reached out to me on TikTok and asked me to touch on subjects such as diagnosis. Disclaimer for my listeners, this channel is intended for mature audiences only. This podcast does discuss sensitive subjects pertaining to the lived experiences of ADHD individuals, such as trauma and ableism, but may not always reflect the lived experiences of everyone as a whole in the community. We urge you to listen to the voices of many and not just the voice of one, as no one person can speak on behalf of the community. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure anyone. However, we do intend to empower the community through lived experiences and tools to increase visibility, access to care, and acceptance for neurodiversity. If you like what you hear on today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Thank you all for joining me into the world of Divergent Thinking, and feel free to reach me on TikTok at I am Divergent Thinking. That's with only one T. My email is now also open at I am divergent thinking at gmail.com. Let's get into it. We're going to start today with a person named Nim. Their pronouns are she, they. They reached out to me and left the following message. I don't mean to just drop this on you, but this would be a huge topic, I think, to talk about on the podcast. Diagnosis is extremely expensive and it prevents people from life-saving care. Could you talk about that? Nim, thank you so much for reaching out to me with this podcast idea. I'm grateful to my friends, fans, and followers who support my content. Today, I will strictly be focusing on diagnoses for autism, as there seem to be more barriers to achieving a diagnosis. However, a future episode may be dedicated to diagnosis and ADHD. What NIM is stating is absolutely correct. Diagnosis out of pocket typically starts somewhere in the thousands, but the cheapest I've personally heard was $500 for an adult autism assessment from someone in California. Due to privilege and where someone lives, access to medical and mental health care can be limited, and based on your lived experiences, you may not even trust the medical and mental health communities, thanks to the history of trauma, racism, sexism, homophobia, and more. My hope is that someday we could work to resolve these barriers as a community. Alternatively, you can save your money, pay out of pocket, walk in, and find that the person sitting on the other side is not skilled in autism at all. Research is starting to draw conclusive evidence that mental health professionals are misdiagnosing autistics with personality disorders, which means that treatment outcomes may not be correct. And being prescribed the wrong medication because of the wrong diagnosis could lead to suicidality and death. Lest we forget that the foundations of psychology were based on a system of oppression. For those who are interested, I did drop a study from 2002 highlighting this in my link tree on TikTok. Genuinely, after writing and rewriting the script a few times, I think the best way to make this as real as possible is to explain it through lived experiences. So we're going to open today 
with my journey into an autism diagnosis, and I hope this gives some insight. As for my journey, it starts with TikTok. I was still heavily engaged with masking behaviors for neurodivergencies, and ADHD TikTok was the first to break through to me, specifically Katiosaurus. Story after story of people discussing doom piles, impulsivity, the ADHD tax, dopamine seeking, the overlap with trauma, and so much more. I began to relate a little too hard to the lived experiences and research presented to me. I went to my therapist and explained what I was seeing and why, and thankfully, she's licensed to diagnose ADHD. We went through a bar screening tool, received my diagnosis, and bam, I launched so hard into accepting myself instead of punishing myself. Truly, it was the closest I'd come to experience radical self-acceptance. This screening tool, by the way, can also be found on my link tree. I went to my PCP with my diagnosis finally landing at her table and started treatment with Adderall. It was literally the most amazing experience to see what it was like to have the world so quiet. I lost 30 pounds and I no longer felt as hungry as I used to be. My taste buds had changed and I was no longer craving these excessively calorie foods that I'd normally eaten. Could dysregulated eating be tied to ADHD? Could it be that there is a neurological root as to why I craved the foods I did, and it wasn't all about willpower? Could this play a role in difficulties recognizing if I was thirsty, hungry, or full? All this guilt that I'd carried for being impulsive, snippy, and easily agitated was also treated in the process, so suddenly, instead of needing years of therapy to try and quote-unquote correct something, as though it was my responsibility, I suddenly realized there are certain things beyond my control with regards to my mental health, and that's okay. I no longer needed to carry this weight. My anger wasn't entirely due to unresolved trauma that would magically go away once the enlightenment of the Buddha had ascended beyond these earthly ideals of healing. No! It was because my brain was shaped differently. Mental health is addressed on a biopsychosocial model of care, and only one of them was being addressed for so long in my life. But slowly, it started to take a turn. The anxiety would begin to return, and with it, stimming behaviors. I was finger-flapping. More than the anxiety was the depression, something I hadn't dealt with on this level since my teen years. As months went by, I was becoming more sensitive to light and to sound and motion sickness when I walked. Towards the end of this journey, I was experiencing swelling in the fingers and toes that exacerbated the tightness of skin on my fingers, so I'd pick at it, and the bleeding wouldn't stop for ten minutes. Blood and not clotting properly was the final straw. I'd weaned myself from all other medications trying to figure out the cause of all of this, and this was the last one. 
I made the decision to stop. I called my doctor's office while my PCP was away, reported my symptoms, told them I was discontinuing this medication, and that was that. So, what was happening? On the one hand, I was experiencing a set of side effects that were in line with serotonin syndrome. This is a life-threatening condition, and please, if you begin to experience these things, call your doctor and do your research. On the other hand, elements of undiagnosed autism were exacerbated. The ruminations would get worse, and needing to be engaged in my special interests became a lot more intense. During this time, the algorithm changed. In the same way I connected with ADHD TikTok creators, I was suddenly doing the same with autism creators. Furthermore, people were calling me out as autistic. There's no way I'm autistic, I thought. But slowly, I began to realize my understanding of autism was wrong. Because this ableist, neurotypical, white and clinical culture that had told me what to understand was wrong. And of course, I listened to what society said. I was so heavily rule-focused, as many other autistics are. These are the rules. This is what it looks like. And if it's not this, then it must be something else. I was so ignorant. Plain and simple. And yet, for someone who was ignoring their autism but was medicated for ADHD, I must finally be able to make friends. It was the one thing that, after years of trauma work and medication, it should be able to click. Surely, I could understand friendships now. Surely, I must be healed enough. Surely, I've done the work. Surely. Why do I still struggle to understand friendships and maintain them? I've been in therapy for almost a decade. My ADHD is treated, and I know I'm in a better place. So why don't I understand? Why don't the rules match up? I behave this way in this group of social engagements, but it doesn't make sense over there. What's going on? Now, I've touched on this before, but I need to take this a step further. Masking behaviors for ADHD and autism will stop being a coping mechanism and turn into self-sabotaging behaviors. We take on this element of acting in order to fit in, pretending to be like everyone else. And if you deviate from that norm of what's socially acceptable or uh, changing how you behave in terms of what other people think you should be like, you get reprimanded for it. However, because you're lying to yourself and everyone else around you, you prevent yourself from seeing the truth. It's a lose-lose scenario. The impact of masking behaviors is such that if you are too ingrained into it, you can't maintain it any longer. Then professionals plainly see the trauma. 
they see the emotional dysregulation and may conclude that it's not autism. No, it's because of PTSD, ADHD, or, or borderline personality disorder, among a whole host of diagnostic labels, because sexism dictates in part that if your emotions aren't kept in check compared to neurotypicals, then there's something wrong with you. Do you feel chronically unique? Well, that must be because of the trauma. And you're so caught up in it that you can't see the forest through the trees. Here, take this medication and come back in a week. Maybe we'll get somewhere. That didn't work? Here, try another. Their cutting behaviors were related to sensory-seeking behaviors? Wait, what now? What? Just a minute. You mean to tell me that this person feels chronically unique not because of trauma, but because they are chronically unique due to autism and that we missed something here? Well, that can't be. What do you mean? that trying all these medications could have been limited if we had accurately screened for autism. Yes, we noticed these medications made their suicidality worse, but we stopped treatment right away. Saving their life was worth the risk of medication withdrawal that made them sick and lose time off of work. We were just doing our jobs. Do you see it? Do you hear it? The gaslighting of voices, because for so long, autism was something only for cis men, and couldn't possibly apply to others. This is what our oppression looks like, and how it's impacting us all. It's a heavy weight, and sadly... It's a story frequently told in some variation or another that creeps its way back into our community. A lack of understanding in our community and who we are has shaped generations of outcomes with dire consequences. If no one gave you the tools on how to protect yourself when demasking, I'm really sorry. And there are content creators out there that can help you with those skill sets. Learning how to identify specific emotions that are complex and break them down was very useful for my alexithymia in the beginning. And for my listeners, you deserve to treat yourself with kindness and safety when embarking on this journey, at your own pace and at your own time. Healing is different for everyone, and if you're doing it right, it never truly ends. If no one's modeled these behaviors for you growing up, we have to find a way to teach ourselves. Where ADHD and autistic children hear more than 10,000 negative comments from their peers for being different, we start to internalize these criticisms and believe that we, in our natural state, are neither worthy nor deserving of acceptance or love. And there's no greater lie that's ever been told. For autistics, it's so much deeper. It's our tone of voice, our facial expressions, not just missed social cues, but an overall struggle to understand these unspoken rules and questioning why they exist. Many of us become little behaviorists, mapping out patterns of interaction through people watching, looking to strengthen the masking skill set. But much like the chicken or the egg, was becoming proficient in mapping behavioral patterns a consequence of rejection, or does it come from biology and how our brains are shaped? Of course, I say we, but in reality, it's only a subtype of the autistic lived experience. And to imply that all autistics are behaviorists is somewhat disrespectful to the spectrum community. So to be clear, those are my 
personal observations and my truths based on my presentation of autism. I broke through the denial of my autism once information on its presentations became more relatable. But more than that, I decided to test myself. Please, don't do what I did. I went on YouTube and put on fluorescent light sounds. I listened for eight seconds and cried for 30 minutes. I'm not joking. Worst idea I ever came up with. Afterwards, I turned to my son and thought, did I have stimming behaviors as a child? Would they feel natural to me today? He walks on his toes and asks questions repeatedly and hums in a monotone voice quite a bit. I thought to myself, you know what? Let's start with stim toys. <laughs> I bought a host of them and tried it out. One in particular was a clicker that I used to keep up the beat of the radio station that was always on repeat in my head, making up songs and rhythms or playing out something that was stuck. And then I realized that, yes, this felt normal. Actually, it recovered a host of memories. The first was when my ex asked me to stop making noises. They were vocal stims that would go up and down and up and down and up and down and then, five minutes later, I started making them again without realizing it. He got up, left the house, and went home. Not a word was said to me. And I cried. He walked out on me for vocal stims that I'd been doing for so long and stopped from that day forward, never engaging with it again. I remembered looking at my son when he was younger and seeing that he sucked on his lips to the point that they were red and irritated. I did the same thing. I sucked on my hair, too, and I remembered dragging my tongue through my teeth, which is why they're permanently crooked. Wait, did I stim as a child? And the video my grandmother showed me of me pacing back and forth as a toddler, as I do now for hours on end. Was it really there all this time? Well, time to tell my therapist. It was our weekly Tuesday session. I came armed and educated on autism and women. I'd sent her the same TikToks I was viewing and resources I'd been reading up on to determine what autism looks like in me and how I identified with it. I explained my stims and remarked on how I hate shoes, which is why I'd been taking them off in her office for years. I told her I found an autism quotient scale assessment going around, but I hadn't taken it yet. I read it was somewhat outdated and geared more towards cisgendered men, something noted as a constant in a lot of the assessments being used in autism. For those who would like to check it out, I do have it in my link tree. My therapist was grateful for this information, and we did the autism quotient test together. Now, true to any other autistic, we ask for clarifications on questions because there's more than one way to interpret something, since nothing is ever clear or straightforward when designed by a neurotypical. My therapist assured me it was okay, and guided me where she could but I was already hyper-fixated on the rules in order to make sure I'm not doing this wrong. My therapist weighed the data, the research, my history, 
and all the work we'd done together for the past ten years and concluded that, yes, I am in fact autistic. And certain things she'd seen suddenly clicked. Rigidity around social norms, hyper-literal black-and-white thinking, nitpicking at the social nuances of boundaries, the struggles with making and keeping friends, and so much more. It all fell into place. The problem, however, is that my therapist was only allowed to provide a provisional diagnosis. But this journey of understanding autism in women would take a big impact on her practice as well. Weeks later, my therapist would thank me for educating her, because, as it turns out, I wasn't the only one in her practice that was an autistic, and my research and understanding of autism in women helped her to make an impact on other clients, for the better. With that said, between the provisional autism diagnosis and the Adderall impacting my mental well-being, I would soon request a visit for a medication consultation with a psychiatrist. And this is where things would spiral downhill. There were videos in the autism and ADHD community talking about bad professionals who view many of us as little more than drug seekers or harbor prejudice against us in the community. Even women having their autism diagnosis revoked. I asked my therapist, what if she attempts to challenge my diagnosis since it's only provisional? She assured me she has jurisdiction over my diagnosis because she's been working with me for much, much longer. And it could be challenged. I was terrified of being discriminated against and misdiagnosed, as these were stories that were also popular on TikTok. And as it turns out, that's exactly what would attempt to happen. The day of the medication consultation. I'm sitting in an office, sparsely decorated, with pictures on the wall, and an older woman with more white hair than gray, whom I will refer to as Janet. Janet introduces herself and tells me that the doctor has made a referral to discuss ADHD medication, and I said, yes, that's correct. She immediately dives into all of the tests and assessments she'll be doing, but doesn't tell me what she's testing for, and that it's going to take about an hour to complete. I immediately began to panic and tear up. She asks, why am I crying? And I said, I'm only here to discuss medications I'm taking for the diagnoses I currently have. She currently retorts, if you're in my office, then your doctor has drawn your diagnosis into question. I will not be discussing medication with you until all of this is completed. I began to rock back and forth, finger flapping and feeling trapped. I wanted to leave, but I was afraid that not being compliant would be held against me and my medical records moving forward, creating more barriers to care. So I stayed. She asked questions that I quickly recognized would revolve around OCD. Do I need to check the lights before leaving the house? Do I worry about something being left plugged in? Do I engage in repetitive behavior patterns that others might see as abnormal? And because some of the answers were yes, but, others were flat out no. And what should have probably taken 10 minutes took about 40 minutes for one assessment alone. I explained I engage in stimming behaviors. She paused, looked at me with confusion and said, STEM? And I said, no, 
Stim. Can you spell that for me, please? S-T-I-M. Then she asked me to explain what I thought those behaviors were, with a look of confusion on her face. <laughs> the audacity. Right then and there, I knew she wasn't qualified to be working with anyone on the autism spectrum if she didn't even know what stimming behaviors were. The other test was for borderline personality disorder. We attempted to discuss trauma history and ADHD, but there was too much for a single assessment that was based on talking to complete. Want to know what she did at the end of the session? Because we couldn't finish them, she sent me home with paper copies of all of the assessments and told me not to look them up. She knew I was educated in psychology because I told her I have a bachelor's in psychology and half my master's in licensed clinical mental health counseling, but she seemed to believe I was also ignorant. I didn't need to look them up. I already knew what she was attempting to do just by reading the questions, some of which I'd taken before with my own therapist. The most alarming thing, though, I told her my son has autism. Multiple family members are suspected of having autism. I was tested for autism by my therapist, and yet, you know what was missing in all of the papers she sent home with me? You know what wasn't in the tests for me? Autism. She scheduled me for a follow-up visit a month out and told me to drop off the papers when I was done. Days later, I'm in session with my therapist, crying my eyes out and telling her what happened. How Janet judged me on the basis of my tears, thinking it was related to the history I spoke about when really my tears were from feeling unsafe around her. At the end of my story, my therapist asked me, what assessments were you sent home with? I read them off and among them I said, Weibach. This is short for the Yale Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale. She flat out stated that this was testing under her expertise and it is only to be completed by the clinician. Never should it be taken home to complete independently. This is a clinician-led tool. I was so afraid that being non-compliant would lead people to look in my chart and undermine me moving forward. But I was relieved when she confirmed that this is someone who was not a good fit. And by handing me this test to send home, it was a major red flag. I've never been so seen, so validated, and so justified in how I felt. She apologized sincerely and acknowledged how she and the mental health community needs to do better for people on the autism spectrum and took ownership that she too, in her role, needs to be proactive in advocating for autistic lives. And it starts with confronting clinicians who aren't educated enough and may even need to retire. Let's unpack this. Right off the bat, I was aware that my diagnosis could be drawn into question because, newsflash, you can 
have your autism diagnosis not only challenged and undermined, but you can have it taken away from you. Something people have disputed me on in the past, and I've been able to prove to them that, yes, it can be taken away. In fact, a neighbor of mine had their child's autism diagnosis taken away from them in their middle school years because his supports were so good, he performed well enough in the autism screening tools, tested his way out of the autism diagnosis, and lost it. Weeks later, the mother gets a letter in the mail from Social Security Disability demanding their money back because the child was misdiagnosed all along. The child regressed once they lost their IEP accommodations, and they did get their diagnosis reinstated. But for those who don't think it can't be taken away, think again. I don't say this as a means of provoking fear into my audience, but as a realistic counterpoint on making sure you not only educate yourself with the appropriate tools for assessment day, but you also know how to advocate for yourself too. In fact, Come with everything you can to discuss your points and even provide a copy of the autism diagnosis and how it applies to you. If you can take the assessments for autism on your own and bring them in, do so. I wish I had. But for someone who wasn't considering autism as a diagnosis, I don't think it would have mattered to her. Speaking of, when Janet made it clear that my diagnosis was being brought into question and I panicked, she didn't get why this would bother me so much. 33 years of figuring out what's going on with me all this time. And I finally find the solution from a platform where no one else could. Of course, I'm terrified. It's identity first, not people first. I am my diagnosis. I was born with it. And I have every right to be attached to my labels. Neurotypicals seeking to separate the person from the label are acting on internalized ableism, and we see this in the cure autism rhetoric. Because I'm dysregulated in front of a psychiatrist, shaking and crying, all she could see was presentations of trauma and assumed this was borderline personality disorder. The lack of eye contact, needing to rock back and forth, finger flapping, and looking all over the room can also look like anxiety and panic to the untrained eye. And where she didn't allow me to feel safe, but rather scrutinized, she wouldn't even provide me any kind of autism assessment. Did she even take the time to read a, a clinical summary of me? If you're not skilled in autism, then why are you allowing yourself to take me in as a patient in the first place? Is it just for the money? Did your judgments before meeting me provide you with how you think the interview is going to go? Were you ever going to give me a chance? Doctors, clinicians, psychiatrists, do not treat your patients like crap. If you catch yourself doing what Jana did, maybe it's time to invest in your continuing education credits towards neurodivergency. If you cannot provide a safe space for people to feel listened to, heard, validated, and understood, then you're not going to be able to meet the person where they're at, because you're not going to have a clear image of who someone is, only snap judgments under duress. And at that point, you can't possibly tell me it's an educated guess when your own prejudice is hindering your clinical outcomes. 
How does this not go against your code of ethics? So many stories of so many professionals out there valuing their ego over the patient's life. Are you perhaps the one in need of therapy? Last I knew, therapists usually have their own therapists. Do psychiatrists not need them? Did you forget that you're here to help people? Because quite frankly, that was a traumatic experience for me. And if you think that just because I'm autistic, people don't listen to what I have to say, well, you have another thing coming. And for my listeners who've been afraid to move forward on this part of their healing journey, I promise there are skilled, compassionate, and humanistic clinicians out there who can help you. As you'll soon hear near the end of my story, you are not powerless. You are not alone. We in the community have your back. This draws me to my finale. After my experiences with the psychiatrist, I was distraught and believed that because of the area I lived in, there were no other options. I called around, but I didn't get what I needed. Meanwhile, a friend of mine who lives in Washington was able to share their good news and get their diagnosis on the first try. I couldn't give up. There's got to be a way. Months later, I would work for a program that specializes in employment for people who need a second chance in life. And one company we partnered with was Vogue Rehab. It turns out they can send people out to get their diagnosis done, but you need to give consent to go through 10 years of medical records. Still, if they work with communities that lack access to privilege, maybe they could help pave the way for me. I asked them who they sent their participants to when they were seeking a diagnosis, and they told me. It was one town over. I was excited and told my therapist. She knew who they were and had even recommended them to others in the past, but was under the impression that they didn't take my insurance, which is why it was never brought up before. My heart sank a little bit. But people come into network and fall out of network all of time for insurance companies. You know, it's post-COVID. Let's give them a call. And sure enough, they took my insurance. My appointment would be scheduled two months out in advance. And so I waited. The day finally came. And thankfully, there was so much more to it. It wasn't just an hour session, it was an hour screening the week before, four hours for all of the testing, and an hour to review the results together a couple weeks later, making for a total of six hours. This was brutal, but it was so worth it. It wasn't just paper assessments, it was drawing pictures, giving definitions of words, testing math, and so on. It was screening for impulsivity and critical thinking, cross-cutting tools for multiple mental diagnoses, and, of course, the autism assessment. I cried my eyes out reading those questions. And again, psychologist was a little bit surprised, but carefully took the time to ask which questions made the strongest impact and why. For other tests, however, clinicians can't help you, even with how these questions are worded. 
Of course, my brain is running wild with, how am I supposed to do this correctly and be seen for who I am if I'm not understanding the context of these questions? Isn't that just going to miss other elements of my diagnosis? <laughs> Thankfully, she made note of that in her clinical summary because she was skilled enough to see that this was somewhat of an autistic trait too. And if anything, the rigidity lended to the argument of supporting the diagnosis. At one point, I remember looking at her and saying, listen, I'm not saying uh, I can't think without my shoes off, but it genuinely hinders my ability to think, can I take my shoes off? And thankfully, she said yes. She provided me with sensory regulation breaks during the assessments and asked about my special interests and hyperfixations, something the previous person would never do and possibly could not. I wrote down a list of all my autistic traits and attempted to break them down into categories, but because of the executive dysfunction with ADHD, I forget things and become a deer in the headlights when asked direct questions that feel as if they come from a place of justification more than general inquiry. As a result, the list too was disorganized because of a whole week of running back and forth to this paper and, and writing down things like mouth stimming, uh, vocal humming, feeling deep sadness when I'm in a group of people with no explanation and I'm not actually sad. Something she made note of in her summary as well. Three more weeks would pass before I'd have my appointment to get the results. The wait was agonizing. I struggled to conceptualize what two minutes feels like because of time blindness, but I know what an eternity feels like as a result of this. <laughs> but the day came, sitting in a Zoom call. She asked how I was doing, and I said, I was nervous because I'm afraid of what the results would say. She's like, oh, then here, let me help you now. I've given you the autism diagnosis, as I do believe you meet the criteria. <laughs> and... I bawled my eyes out. Over a year of wondering, researching, failed visits with professionals, building and growing in the autism community, and my existence finally feeling validated. And the psychologist smiled at me, and as I cried, she said, yeah, that's the usual reaction I get when working with clients like you. You need a minute? I felt like I had climbed a mountain, but looking back, I was able to survey the landscape that is my soul and see so many peaks and valleys that I'd worked through. Trauma, ADHD, autism, systemic oppression, growth, healing, and the relentless pursuit to fight for who I am. I saw it all, and yet... I'm still working on myself. Unmasking ADHD is the next step in my journey, among other things. For my listeners, this may come with a sense of grief, envy, or possibly angst, hearing I was privileged enough to get a diagnosis, and your feelings are valid. I too have felt it to some degree. If you are struggling with this right now, I just want to remind you that you are worthy and deserving of visibility as well, to be accepted as a whole authentic being. We shouldn't have to fight so hard, and it is an injustice. Science is starting to catch up, but the rate of growth to the rate of systemic trauma, 
I wish the psychiatric community actually listened to us more, but slowly, well, the tides are changing. And if you believe your story doesn't play a role in improving the lives of others, I'm here to tell you, your story has power. Your story can make change. Your story can help the lives of others. And I'm honored that you'd take the time to listen to me today. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of I Am Divergent Thinking. If you like this podcast, please let me know so I can keep going. Comments, questions, or ideas for future shows? Be sure to reach me on TikTok at I Am Divergent Thinking. That's with only one T in Divergent Thinking. Or I Am Divergent Thinking at gmail.com. Please remember, if you'd like your experiences shared, include your pronouns, name, TikTok handle, or make a note that you'd like to remain anonymous. Enough responses can build future episodes and may allow you to be featured on a future recording. One more special thanks to Nim for supporting me in today's episode, and again, thank you all so much for tuning in. I'll see you again soon.